The Stream of Time. On October 27th, 312 AD, while preparing for an inevitable battle the next day, the man who would eventually be known as the Roman Emperor Constantine the Great had a vision. He interpreted this vision to mean that he should adopt the Christian God if he wanted to assure victory. The next day, on October 28, 312, at the Battle of Milvian Bridge, Constantine's forces defeated the opposing forces of the then Emperor of Rome, Maxentius. This victory would eventually lead Constantine to fully adopt Christianity. This decision would forever change the course of not just Western, but world history. But what did it even mean to convert or adopt Christianity? What was paganism? What was early Christianity like? And how and why did it affect history so profoundly? We'll be getting the answers to these questions and more over the next few episodes of The Stream of Time. Welcome back. I'm your host, Elliot the Historian. This episode is called The Man Who Changed the World, Part 1. We need to set up the context for Constantine's conversion, and there is a lot of context. With that, this series is going to be divided into sections. First, I'm going to explain what paganism actually meant. Next, I'm going to talk about early Christianity, the first three centuries. Third, I'm going to give a brief history of the Roman Empire leading up to the life of Constantine. Lastly, I'm going to put this all together and discuss how this changed the world. The first thing I want to say about paganism is that pagans didn't call themselves pagans. While the modern definition of the word pagan is a person holding religious beliefs other than those of the main world religions, it meant something entirely different in antiquity. The word pagan comes from the Latin paganus, which originally meant civilian or country dweller. It was the early Christians who caused the meaning to be changed. You see, in the 2nd and 3rd centuries, still in the early years of Christianity, early adopters of Christianity tended to be concentrated in cities and tended to be of the upper classes. Christians, with more than a hint of classicism, considered the non-Christians to be lower-class country folk holding on to their old traditions. The best modern term I can think of to describe it is something like country bumpkin. Besides the word pagan itself, paganism in general is terribly misunderstood by moderns, and it's not too perplexing to imagine why. We've taken a lot of the pagan gods and incorporated them into our own pop culture, more often than not with little thought to what the pagan gods meant to the people who originally paid them homage. Note that I'm being careful to avoid the word worship for reasons I'll get into in a moment. I'm not only talking about outlandish modern interpretations of the gods such as Greek gods appearing as aliens on Star Trek, or the Norse god Thor getting his own movie series. I'm talking also about the way we have been taught mythology in the modern era, and the texts we use to teach about ancient mythology. Edith Hamilton's Mythology, or Robert Graves' The Greek Myths, two books that have been very often used in college classes to teach classical mythology, are both fun to read but they don't capture the essences of what being a pagan actually meant. And hey, there's Robert Graves again messing up our understanding of a historical concept like he did with Belisarius in the last episode of The Stream of Time. But I digress. What I'm getting at is that we tend to think of pagan systems of religions as a bunch of gods sitting around drinking wine and generating some awesome stories demanding constant worship. But the truth is that pagan religions often worked entirely differently from our modern conception. In the case of Roman paganism especially, worship was almost entirely unimportant in gaining favor of the gods. In fact, belief in the gods wasn't even really important, although nobody would have really doubted the existence of gods at the time. 
What was important in Roman paganism was that the gods received their proper sacrifice or tribute at the proper time, especially when someone needed something from a god. What would you need from a god? Considering there were gods of pretty much everything, the range of things you would need from a god could be pretty much anything. If you were a farmer, you might want a god of seasons to give you good weather for farming. You might sacrifice to gods of the hearth to bring a better chance of a delicious and successful dinner party. Families often had their own personal gods to which one might make sacrifices to bring good luck to the family or to accompany a deceased loved one safely through the underworld. And of course, it was pretty much a requirement that a general or military leader make sacrifices to a powerful god to ensure victory in an upcoming battle. What god? Well, that's a big question, isn't it? In ancient Rome, finding the right god to sacrifice to in order to guarantee victory was practically as important as coming up with a good battle plan. Keep this in mind as we move forward in this series. Okay, so we've got a really rough understanding of how pagan systems worked at the time, but there were other religions during this time in the ancient world. In fact, one of the big misconceptions about the Roman Empire was that there was very little religious freedom in the Roman Empire. The truth is almost the polar opposite, as the Roman Empire was very inclusive in taking in new religions and allowing different religions to practice or even thrive. On many occasions, the Roman pantheon grew as a religion would absorb a god or idea from another religion. Although to be fair, this happened a lot in general in ancient religions and still happens to this day in modern religions. Just to take a concrete example, in the 2nd and 3rd centuries AD, a cult devoted to the god of Mithra grew among Roman soldiers. They saw Mithra as a protector of the empire. But Mithra was not originally part of the Roman pantheon. Mithra was a god borrowed from Indo-Iranian mythology and religion. And really, you can look at all of the main gods of the Roman pantheon, and most of them are borrowed from the Greek pantheon. Jupiter is a Roman version of the Greek Zeus. Mars is a Roman version of Ares. Venus is a Roman version of Aphrodite, and so on. Even Christianity was not largely persecuted across the empire until the middle to late half of the 3rd century. There were, of course, tragic incidents such as in 64 AD when the Roman Emperor Nero blamed the Christians for a huge fire in the city of Rome that in all likelihood was started by Nero himself to clear space for some lavish building projects he was about to undertake. And throughout the next two centuries, one province or governor or another might be hostile towards Christians. But the empire-wide persecutions didn't happen until the mid-3rd century and peaked towards the end under the Emperor Diocletian who we learned about in the first two episodes of The Stream of Time. And even when the Christians were persecuted, they were given a lot of leeway and could often even continue to practice Christianity as long as they would also sacrifice to the gods required by the Roman government. And even then, individual governors often were very reluctant to punish these Christians. We have accounts of governors spending over a month trying to talk Christian prisoners and just sacrificing to the required Roman gods and get it over with so they could go back to practicing Christianity. Here is another case of a word changing from its original meaning, as the Christians would often insist that they were a witness to their faith. The Greek word for witness was, drumroll please, martyr, as these witnesses were often put to death for insisting that they are witnesses. The word martyr eventually changed to be what it is known as today, which is someone killed because of their religious beliefs. It became so prominent that the early Christian church had to release proclamations that being a martyr does not automatically get one into heaven. 
One more point I want to make about paganism before I wrap up this episode. Paganism with a capital P wasn't some sort of monolithic religion with a codified set of laws that applied to everyone, everywhere. In fact, codification, which is to say writing down of religious laws, was actually somewhat rare among ancient religions and is one of the things that made the Jewish religion somewhat unique until Christianity branched off from Judaism. Nobody saw a need for religious texts in many of the ancient religions because, again, for many of them, the important thing was proper sacrifice to the gods. And even if there was some sort of codification, the rules in that codification would not necessarily have applied to everyone. This is a good point to wrap up. If you've listened to other episodes of The Stream of Time, this one might be a little short. Going forward, I will most likely be doing shorter episodes, but posting them much more frequently. There is a lot of information in these podcasts, and I am hoping by making them shorter, it will make it easier to absorb some of the information. But I'm also doing this for you, the listener. I encourage you to send feedback and suggestions via the Stream of Time website at www.streamoftime.org or emailing me directly at the email address history at streamoftime.org. Next episode, we will continue this series, and I'll be going into a lot more details about one of my favorite topics, Christianity. Thank you for listening, and see you next time on The Stream of Time.